0: Um, and so you want to keep your bibles open to make sure that that's what the bible is saying what god is teaching us tonight well i'm going to pray pray that god will soften our hearts as we listen to this let's pray heavenly father as we reflect on your judgment upon us upon this world we pray lord that we don't take this lightly tonight uh, that you will soften our hearts give us humble minds and hearts to understand what you have to teach us and to respond appropriately we pray this in jesus name Amen. Now, have you ever realised that as people, we are in fact very judgmental? We're judging always from cradle to grave. We're always casting judgments. Have you realised that? Whether that's internally, whether that's just behind closed doors, whether that's just watching through the windows, whether that's just in our mind or in our hearts, we're always casting judgments on others have you realized that? You know, you see a baby that's born, a new baby, and what do we say? We cast judgment. Oh, what a cute baby. Or what an ugly baby. Well, none of us would think that or say that out loud anyway. Or, or we cast judgment by what people study. What, what are you studying? You're studying arts. Oh, you must be a hardworking student. I'm an arts student myself. I'm doing my Masters of Arts, so I'm not having a go at arts students. Or we cast judgment. So, By what people do for work Uh, we cast judgment all the time don't we and I think we enjoy it because when we cast judgment we get to look down on others and make ourselves look better and this is why I suspect many of us I do I enjoy watching shows years ago there was this show on Australian TV called Australian Idol remember that the best bits of that show were only the first few episodes when people can't sing when people make a fool of themselves, that was the best bit because you can cast judgment. How silly, how foolish. I will never do that. The rest of the show, when they start selecting those who can not sing, well, that just got boring. And we like to cast judgment on the wackos of society. Or we like to cast judgment by what people wear. We do this all the time. You wear glasses, that means you like mats, right? Oh, no, see, there you go. Who's doing that? We even cast judgment on God. We do that as people. God, how can you allow that to happen? How could you allow that suffering to have happened? How dare you, God, think you have your any right over my life? From cradle to grave, even when people die, we're casting judgments. Have you realized that? What happens at a funeral? We do eulogies. We're saying how great, how wonderful that person was, how, how wonderful heaven will be now with that person. You see, we're casting judgment even on the dead from cradle to grave we're casting judgments and i think we enjoy that but you know what we see in this passage in the end the very end of all our lives or your life or my life it will be not us casting judgment at all but it will be god who will have the final word it will be god who will have the final word on us on this world on your life in the very end it will be us in the docks and God on his throne as judge. Now, how does that make you feel? I mean, we've spent our whole lives judging others, scrutinizing others, but in the end, it will be us who will be judged by God. It will be us who will be scrutinized by God. Now, for many people, I think that that makes us a bit uneasy, that this one God will look at my whole life or that I've thought and said and did And will judge me makes us uneasy I mean I don't mind a loving God but a God who judges don't really like that idea very much and that's because we we don't like this idea of a judging God and I suspect it's because we think that God will judge people the way human judges judge people I suspect we don't like God as judge but we think God will judge the way human judges judge where there are miscarriage miscarriages of justice now do you know that in Australia when we still had capital punishment several decades ago there were in fact quite a few cases where men were sentenced and executed to death but then later were found to be innocent for example a guy by the name of Colin Ross executed in 1922 but later on legally exonerated it took 86 years but he was exonerated in 2008 when new evidence was found I mean, there's miscarriage of justice there. And so we're, we're frightened. Will God be like such a judge? Or where judges show prejudice because of race or religion or gender? And it happens in our world. I mean, in, in Jakarta, just recently, uh, the, uh, the governor of Jakarta, the former governor anyway, a Christian man, imprisoned for trumped up blasphemy charges that sounds to me like racial and religious prejudice but will god be like such a judge well we don't like god being judged because you know judges in our world they they don't have the power to convict and to charge and to sentence the blatantly guilty we know so many people get away when they are guilty clearly guilty but they get away because they're wealthy they've got these awesome barristers and lawyers and they get away on a technicality I mean will god be like such a judge or when judges show partiality takes bribes are corrupted i mean that happens more common than we like to believe that's why in australia in the high court of australia do you know how many justices we have in the high court we don't have just one justice we have seven justices seven judges now obviously that's for collective wisdom But I suspect it's also to maintain impartiality. We can't really trust any one person with that much authority. And so we don't like the idea of judges. Will God be like such a judge? And so what do you think? Well, what we see in our passage is that the judgment of God will be inescapable. It will be perfectly just and it will be perfectly impartial. How does that make you feel? Now, I suspect for many people, for many of us even, when we rock up to God on Judgment Day, we might still try to make some excuses. Now, in this passage, there are three excuses that are made. So we'll have a look at these in turn. The first one, I'm actually not that bad, God. Rock up on Judgment Day, I'm not that bad, God. Or the second one, it's not fair, God. It's not fair. Or the third one, I didn't know. So let's have a look at these excuses so imagine judgment day you're in the docks god is on his throne judging you and your excuse is i'm not that bad god i'm not your suicide bomber i didn't do that i'm not your terrorist i didn't never held a gun before in my life i never killed anyone i'm not that bad god i'm not even as bad as some of those people in my church god i'm not that bad that could be an excuse now what do you think god would say when anyone says that to god well Paul here gives us an insight have a look at the first verse Paul says you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge the other you who pass judgment do the same things see so easy we like judging because we like to think highly of ourselves and it's often too easy to think highly of ourselves and lowly of others I may have never committed adultery never but to lust after someone that is to commit adultery with my eyes to use pornography is to commit adultery in my heart I may never have murdered anyone but to get angry at my brother Jesus says is to kill that brother in my heart this past week something happened in my household in our household that highlighted how judgmental I was it was a silly example, silly thing that happened, but it just revealed my heart. This happened at dinner just the other night. One of my kids, nameless, was speaking at dinner with his mouthful, his or her, nameless, <laughs> was speaking with his mouthful. Food coming out, mess everywhere. I got angry, and in my self-righteous self, I raised my voice, and I said, don't speak with your mouthful. And I was saying that with my mouthful. full. Yvonne saw that, and she just cracked up laughing. I was pointing the finger, really, but three fingers were pointing back at me. You see, I tried to justify myself, but it was inexcusable. And so here, no one can ever think, no one can ever say to God, I'm not that bad. You see, God's judgment, we see, is based on all that is right and true. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a me man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You see, in the end, none of us will escape. None of us will be excusable. None of us can ever think, well, we're in here, God, they're out there. None of us can ever think, I'm up here, God, they're down there. You see, none of us can look down on anyone. Only God sits that high. And so when I say to God, I'm not that bad, God says, well, yes, you are. Yes, you are. But you see, what God desires here is not just to point out our faults and flaws that we're bad, but God's desire is that everyone turns back to him in repentance. We see this in the next two verses. Verse 4 and 5. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of god's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed it is clear that by the end of our lives god will be sitting in judgment over us and to not repent before then is to store up all of god's anger against all that we've done all that we've accumulated in life and so if we try that excuse on God, God, I'm not that bad. Well, God says, Well, yes, you are. Yes, you are. But now we might come up with a second excuse. It's not fair, God. It's just not fair. I mean, God, you're treating people differently. You're judging your own people differently. You're showing favorites. You're showing partiality. And what do you think God will say to that? That we're accusing God of being unfair well Paul again gives us another insight here look at verse 6 God will repay each person have a look at verse 6 God will repay each person regardless of gender, race, religion, culture, age according to what they have done in the end God's judgment will be completely absolutely even-handed now this should be of great comfort to all of us that there will be that type of judgment one day will be complete absolute justice one day that should be of great comfort you see I mean, just think about it when a suicide bomber kills 23 people and he kills himself in the process he's blown himself up and 23 others there's no justice there there can never be justice in this world for that I mean that's one life for 23 but let's just say that suicide bomber he in fact did not die he killed 23 people we've captured him we've prosecuted him we've incarcerated him for life that's not justice he still gets to live on but yet he's affected he's killed 23 people plus hundreds of other lives that's not justice we'll never get justice here but that's why this verse is so important or when Hitler when he committed suicide after all the atrocities he was responsible for one man he killed himself but yet millions suffered there's no justice there there's no justice in this world but you see the promise here is that there will be complete absolute total justice and death won't even frustrate god's justice because what do we see god will repay each person according to what they have done that is of tremendous comfort there will be justice you see the judgment of god is the guarantee that good and justice will ultimately triumph now what's that judgment what is the judgment of god what will it be well here we see there are only two options it might sound complicated how do you judge a person you know you'll have a scale a ladder How does God judge? Really, only two options. Look at verses 7 to 11. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace. For everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. You see, the Jews were the first into the blessing, and so they will be the first into judgment, but all will face it alike. You see, what we see here is that God's judgment will be just, it will be fair, it will be even handed, it will be impartial. And there's only two destinies. There will only be two destinies. One, those who will receive eternal life, on the one side. The other side, or those who will face the wrath and anger of God. There's only two. Imagine that. Think about that. Billions of people, but only two destinies. And what is that judgment based on? Well, have a look at this passage. I think this is quite surprising for us. This judgment is based on what you do. Look at verse 7. It is based on doing good on the one side and then verse 8 it is based on doing evil now for many of us who have been coming along to this church i suspect that that sounds strange to us doesn't it it seems here that being good gets you into heaven being bad keeps you out that it is your good works your good efforts your moral behavior that saves you but is that what this passage is saying Well, you see, in in this passage, but also in light of the whole of Scripture, what we see is a consistent principle in the whole of the Bible, and that is this. You are justified by faith, but you are judged by your works. I'll say that again. You are justified by faith, but you are judged by your works. Everyone will be judged by their works. And we see that in the teaching of Jesus himself. In our first reading, if you were listening carefully, we actually see both of that in the same passage so in the teachings of jesus in john chapter 5 whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life what does that say justification is by faith you are saved by believing but only a few verses later we see this those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil Will rise to be condemned. Judgment is by works. Your works reveal your heart. And so, what this passage is saying, which is consistent with the rest of the Bible, and that is our works reveal the genuineness of our faith. Our our, our works show whether our faith is for real. And so, in this passage, who are those then who are able to persistently do good, seek glory? honor, and immortality. Who are those people? Well, the only people who can do that are those with saving faith. Their good works are the fruits of their faith. The good works don't earn salvation, but they exhibit salvation. And so here, the judgment of God is fair and impartial because it's based on what you have done. Everyone, regardless of race, whatever race, whatever culture, however old, whatever gender, you have you'll be judged fairly and justly and so on the day of judgment on the day of judgment none of us can deny god will show to us this is what you did didn't you this is what you did throughout your life none of us will be able to deny it nor excuse it nor defend it and so if i try to make that excuse to god it's unfair god well it will be shown that it was fair that it will be fair Now, finally, we come to our third excuse. We might say to God, well, God, I know you're the judge, you're the king, but I didn't know of your standards. I didn't know your moral expectations. I didn't know right and wrong. I I just didn't know. We might say that to God, claim ignorance. Now, what might God say there? Well, God will say, that's okay. You'll just be judged on what you know you'll just be judged on what you know and what you know is enough look at verses 12 and 13 all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous and so what it's saying here is that our judgment will be based on the truth that you know on the light that you have. And whatever you know, whatever light that you have, that will be enough. Now, one theologian by the name of Hodge, he helpfully said this. The ground of judgment is their works. The rule of judgment is their knowledge. And so one day, none of us can claim, I just didn't know. God will say, well, no, you actually know enough. God is not going to judge the guy who lived on the deserted island no contact with anyone god's not going to say to him well why didn't you obey the laws of moses why didn't you follow the ten commandments he'll say well i didn't have it i didn't know it no instead rather god will judge those people who had no access to the law who did not receive the written laws by the law of their conscience by the moral code that has been written embedded stitched into their hearts by the inner consciousness of right and wrong. You see, God, the moral God, has stitched his moral standards into the fabric of all creation and into the hearts of every human being. And that's why, you see, you do not have to be a Jew or a Christian to have a sense of right and wrong. When people lie, when people behave cowardly, when people betray each other, when people hurt and when people kill you don't have to have the written law to know that that is wrong we actually know it internally by our conscience and so no matter what standard we possess what no matter what knowledge we have whether jew or gentile we have all acted contrary to that standard it will accuse us one day have a look our final verses verses 14 to 16 Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secret through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares." And so in the end, on judgment day, all will stand before God. Every single one of us will stand before God culpable. None of us can plead ignorance. The judgment of God will be the great leveler. We are all culpable before God. And so the excuses we might come up with, I'm not that bad. Well, yes, you are. It's not fair, God. Well, yes, it is. I didn't know well yes you did and so if that is what we know about the coming judgment what difference do you think that is to make for our lives now what difference is it meant to make knowing how God will judge us what excuses would not hold what difference well firstly if I am in fact no better than any of you and if in fact you are no better than anyone else then it makes a difference in how we see each other how we see others how we think of others both outside the church and inside the church but let's consider just inside the church what might you secretly feel or think inside when you hear of someone else amongst us a fellow brother or sister who have failed morally how might you think? What might you feel inside when you when you hear of that brother or sister who failed in such a terrible way? Now, since becoming a minister, I've heard of a handful, more than I would have liked. A handful of other ministers who have failed morally. It might be some was because of pornography and lust, some because of outright adultery. Terrible things are here. Horrible things are here wrong can't be condoned they must be rebuked and corrected out of love but then it's very easy to get that sense of self-righteousness that sense of i'm better than others that sense of i'm not like the others to a sense of god judge them not me i'm okay but you see from this passage we're meant to see i'm no better you're no better what must I be thinking inside when these things happen? I can't stand in judgment of someone else like I'm the judge that I can take the place of God. But I must remember I'm a fellow sinner. I'm just like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And so what do I do? Instead of standing self-righteously before God, I'm not like that person, God. Instead of that, I plead, Lord, please help me. Help me not, not to... the to fall into that temptation Lord protect me from that sin because given the opportunity given the circumstances given the stress the pressure I may also fall and so I plead depending on the mercy of God I'm just a sinner I need your help lead me not into temptation we pray and so what might you be secretly feeling or thinking inside when you hear of a fellow brother or sister who have failed morally I mean, be careful what you allow your heart to believe, that you're more righteous. Be careful. And be also very careful what you allow your mouth to say. One common symptom of self-righteousness which goes unseen, one common symptom of self-righteousness, even in the church, is when there is gossip and slander. I mean, you come to know of some failings, of some brother or sister we don't gossip about it that is to say man i'm not like that person i'm more self-righteous than that person and we don't also christianize gossip do you know how christians christianize gossip we make it a prayer point <laughs> hey um, I, I don't want to share any gossip with you but let's pray about this person dear god we'll pray for bob he's struggling with sexual sin we pray that he be forgiven. I'm not going to gossip, but let's pray about that. Or let's pray for Mary who, who's having an issue with body image. Let's pray that God will change her image. We'll, we'll, we'll just Christianize our gossip. That is not right. I mean, we hear all the time, and even in my time at this church, gossip goes around, it is wrong. It is wrong. It is us self-righteousness saying, I'm not like that person. Be very careful what we say about someone without them around why look at verse one again you who pass judgment do the same things and so firstly in light of the coming judgment of god i must see others differently i have to see all those around me differently i'm just as bad but also i must see myself differently we must see ourselves differently god's judgment will mean i'll be shown to be a worse sinner than i look you see, on a, on a Sunday like this, it's, it's very easy to, in fact, hide our secret lives. It's very easy to appear that life is all okay, that we're just living that simple, godly, Christian life. But outside of Sundays, it might be a very different life we live. I mean, just imagine this. It won't happen, I assure you, but just imagine this. Imagine I was to follow you around all week wherever you go i'm with you in the toilet i'm with you in your room i'm with you in the car i'm with you i see everything you do how you spend your time alone what you watch how you use your computer how you speak to your friends your colleague your family would you change anything you would do if i was around would you do anything that you would change because you'll be ashamed of it In 1876, in a newspaper article from the weekly Kansas, this is in the States, there there was a story of this young girl who played a prank on all the pastors in the town. This girl, a very clever girl, I'm sure, playing this prank, she wrote this short anonymous message with only four words. She wrote this message to all the pastors in the town. Four words, all is discovered. Fly. Do you know what happened that Sunday? Twelve pastors in that town fled. No preaching happened that Sunday. And it makes you think what those pastors were hiding. But now imagine it's not it's not it's not me falling around. Imagine how much more exposed we would be on Judgment Day by God. Now I don't know whether this is true, but I suspect that none of us, none of us would like to run around naked at church at school at work is that true yeah little giggles mean it's true some of you i know live at the gym and you're probably pretty proud of your body but i'm sure you'll also be shameful and humiliated if you will run around naked you see the exposure of judgment they will be far worse than that we'll stand before god feeling naked humiliated before the living all seeing powerful god who exposes not just what we've done in our life but what we've thought what we believe what we wanted in our hearts we can't hide anywhere and we can't hide anything and so to think everything will be okay on my merits is just false and deluded confidence and so do not ever think you'll be okay on judgment day based on what you've done and so i need to see myself differently here we must see ourselves differently And this is the way we're meant to see ourselves. I'm a broken sinner in need of mercy. I'm a beggar pleading for forgiveness. I'm morally bankrupt. I'm hopeless. I'm ashamed. And I'm in desperate need of help. That is the proper view we are to have of ourselves. But now finally, we must see God differently as well. Why is it that God must judge Why is it that we should, in fact, love the idea that God will be our judge? It's not because he's cruel and he's out to get us, but it's because he is kind and he's warning us here. It is because this is the only way where there will be perfect, complete, absolute justice in the end. It's because God is just and good. It's the only way that good can triumph in the end. If God did not judge the world, and there is no ultimate accounting of our deeds, then what do you say? What do you say to the millions of Jews who suffered under Hitler? There's no judge. There's no one to hold anyone to account for that. What are you to say to the many, even today, girls sold into slavery, into sex trade, by these greedy, heartless, ruthless men? There's no justice if there is no God for that. What do you say to those who have been brutally murdered and killed? But There will be no ultimate justice if God is not judge. You see, it's the only way for good to triumph in the end. God is that judge, the judge we don't find in this world. And if then that is so, then He should in fact cause us all, if we understand this well, it should cause us all to respond to God with a rightful, godly fear if it is god in the end not this world who will scrutinize us if it is god in the end who stands in judgment over us if it is god who has the power to cast my soul into this godless eternity of hell it is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living god you see people today muck around with god people play with god talk about god like He's nonsense You do not muck around with God if he holds your life in his hands you do not muck around with this God you do not muck around with him but you fear him you see if not we don't understand judgment or our depravity we see God differently by fearing him giving him the fear that he is due in fact many of you may not have heard this but Yvonne my wife became a Christian initially because of fear not because of the love of God understanding that because of fear she came to understand the the gravity of her sin she also came to understand the righteous judgment and power of God that he holds her life in his hand she became a christian initially out of fear of course she came to understand grace and love and all those things but initially it was out of fear but then just like that wonderful hymn amazing grace you know one of the lines that's grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved when I rightly fear God the way I should and I understand him who he is I also see that fear relieved that's what happened for Yvonne and that is what this passage today is preparing us for it is heavy it weighs heavy. we're meant to feel the gravity of our sin and the horror of judgment but it is to prepare us to f- get us to fear so that we might feel the relief because what has God done in the end for us we actually don't get to the good news until halfway through chapter 3 in two weeks time but here's a foretaste what has God done with the judgment I deserve well the answer must come from not us It can't come from us. The answer must come from God. The solution must come from God. The salvation must come from God, and it has in His Son Jesus Christ. We need someone. We can't deal with our own guilt. We need someone to deal with our guilt. We can't deal with our own shame. We need someone to cover our shame. We need someone to deal with the judgment of God we deserve. And so today, we're preparing ourselves to hear that, but today, when we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, that is what we'll be remembering, that that is God's solution to our guilt, our shame and our judgment. Let's pray.